Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. On today's show, this will be the only time you hear from me and me as we give Woods the platform to talk nothing but Chelsea, 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 Chelsea. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of A Pod of Two Halves. Uh, we're back here today with our second special in... Uh, how do we, how should we say it? interesting times, the current climate? How can we kind of talk about it without talking about it? Just say the Corona era. The Corona era. That's okay, what cool. become known as, mate. Fair enough. Uh, we're in the Corona era, dubbed by Lee there. And um, as you may know, um, I shall recap those, those of you that don't. Um, there's no football to review. We ain't watching nothing at the weekends. I'm watching Lee, you know, sit there on his couch playing Call of Duty, but that's about it. Um, and I'm watching my little dots on Football Manager run around in circles constantly, which is going very well. Thank you for asking. But um, what, we, what we decided to do in this kind of break was uh, kind of go through our um, each of our three kind of favourite, uh, I suppose, memories, seasons, teams of, of our own Premier League kind of history. And now, obviously, last week we started off with Lee. Uh, what what era did you choose, Lee? What what moment did you choose that to, to base our our, our show around? The the, the only moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's simply it. It was uh, the '95 season um, when Everton won the FA Cup, uh, and then the following season had a, well, we were pretty decent in the league uh, up until pretty much the season we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, yeah well, there we there we go. There and today, go. now now now, I'm going to take you on a bit of a history lesson here. So. Who wrote the book in, 19, in 1869, War and Peace? Don't look to me, mate. I'm, I'm no literal genius here. Nope. Right. Leo Tolstoy, okay? Now, oh. what is War and Peace famous for? Is this Everton related? <laughs> no. Uh, is this football related? No. Um, it's a story about War and Peace. 
Now, War and Peace is famous for being fucking long, okay? Oh. How many pages, hazard a guess, is War and Peace? Uh, 1,036. Close. Lee? Oh, I'll take 1,102. You're closer. 1,225 in the first published edition in... 1869. Now, the average human being would take 38 hours and 46 minutes to finish War and Peace if they read it at an average human rate. Now, what we're about to do, Lee, we're about to embark on Thomas Woods' own uh, War and Peace. There now, we go. <laughs> I was sitting there going, where the fuck is he going with this? I I'm hoping, have no idea. I'm hoping it doesn't take 30, however many hours oh, it, it, I said. Will. 38 hours and 46 minutes. We've given him his favourite topic. We have given him his favourite topic. Now, it does kind of work in chronological order because, era, uh, uh, order because we're not talking about the Mark Steen era of Chelsea with you, Woods, are we? We're not talking about, you know, early Dennis Wise or... Gavin Peacock. Gavin Peacock and bollocks like that. We're talking about an era for you which you summed it up very, very well uh, off air a minute ago and i'll lead in with that for you to crack on okay it was basically um i can't remember actually what you said (laughs) what did you say i said it was i was old enough to go to the pub you was old enough to go to the pub but young enough so that football still actually mattered more than other things because now we're old but we've mentioned it on the show enough times we're old man we're, we, you know, we, we're in our 30s now. Some of us nearly our mid-30s. And, um, ooh, and, you know, there are more pressing things in life. You know, Woods has a baby. Lee has a, a kill streak ratio to kind of keep up. You know, it's difficult. I've got to sign wonder kids. It's difficult to look at what's important now, you know, without looking at the real things in life. Back then, in this particular era... This was your life, Thomas Woods. It was me. And I would like you to talk us through it. Okay. What is the era we're talking about today? We are talking about the first great Premier League team that Chelsea had in the post, well, the, the Abramovich era. Uh, Jose Mourinho. I you were about to say the first great Premier League team and I was about to go ham on you there. The, the, look, I, personally, I rank this team second to... <clears throat> Sorry, I rank this team second to Manchester United's 2008 team. That's how highly I regard this team from 04 through to 06. Because um, they were dominant. They're a really, really good team. And what crucially... What, what, what's it, just, to, just to kind of... I'm, I'm going to ask you some questions. We haven't rehearsed mm-hmm. this, so I'm no. sorry if I'm going to throw you completely off the tracks here. So... This is the 0405 team, correct? This is the 0405 so, season in particular. So our first, well. first title. So just to, just to clarify, you so you obviously had Man United as the number one team from the 08 season. That's you, right. So you're saying this team's better than the class of 92, you know, the 99 oh, yeah. season? I, I, think they, winning season. I, I think they would beat them, yeah. And better than Guardiola's team and Klopp's I don't, team? I, I don't believe in those two teams. <laughs> I, <laughs> Are you saying this simply because football has evolved and by that point football evolved from that 99 team? In that, what, five-year period? <laughs> yeah, six look, years? That, that, that 99 team um, did something... Special, which um, is unlikely, it's unlikely to be seen again. Uh, it takes a special set of circumstances, which Liverpool actually had in their their hands this year because of how far ahead they were in the league and they threw it away uh, to to win the the three major competitions. But I, I do think when you look at it um, overall, I think that the Chelsea team was. 
better. I look at Manchester United's 08 team and I don't think it's even up for debate. I think that team was a monster. Um, and this team also was definitely better than the Invincibles because they dethroned the Invincibles and went back to back something that the Invincibles didn't. So, right, let me get to my, my question. So, mm-hmm. um, can you get, can you paint us a picture of what the squad looked like here? What kind of t- players did you have? Who did you bring in in the summer? Because obviously, the biggest acquisition was a certain a certain Portuguese special one, no? Yeah, exactly. Like the biggest acquisition and signing was was Jose Mourinho, um, undoubtedly, who is coming off. Uh, becoming European champion with with Porto, um, but in terms of signings, there was there was two big signings that were made before his arrival. Uh, one of them was Petr Cech, who had um, displaced uh, Carlo Cudicini, who was obviously exceptional at times for Chelsea. Um, but Cech came in and obviously became um, arguably one of the uh, well, he's not arguably he is one of the greatest goalkeepers in in the Premier League era. I think I would have him number two to to Peter Schmeichel. Um, Ian Robin was the other signing we made pre-Mourinho arriving, which obviously we beat United to the signature. And, and crucially, actually, there's some story to that. There's always this kind of conception that he had a shirt on all this. Uh, by all accounts, Robin had travelled to London to, to, to meet Manchester United. Um, and Ferguson did offer. Uh, they offered £7 million for him. Um, and basically, PSV turned around and said that's enough to buy his shirt. And then Chelsea turned up and basically paid what they wanted. And that's how uh, Iron Robin ended up playing how for much, Chelsea. How much was that? It was only twelve million. <laughs> so you know, this is a different era of football. So what? The, so what the PSV guy is saying that you know Iron Robin basically seven million of his twelve million value is his shirt. His body is actually only worth like five million. Whatever. Well, bearing in mind how brittle he was at time for Chelsea, his body is questionable. Um, he didn't actually make his league debut until November because he got injured in pre-season. Um, the, the, the other key acquisitions: um, Didier Drogba, who who came in from Marseille after an incredible performance. I think in. Uh, what is now called the Europa League. I think it was the UEFA Cup still at the time. Uh, th- there's a story that's going around actually about Didier Drogba signing for Chelsea at the moment. Um, and that is, I believe, regarding... <clears throat> sorry. That's regarding the fact that Abramovich offered Mourinho Rondinho. Got a, got a cough there, have you, Woods? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's a, it's a, it's a phlegmy cough, right? <laughs> okay. It's not a dry cough. <laughs> He's in the right era for it. <laughs> so apparently Mourinho was offered uh, Ronaldinho and apparently Mourinho told him he didn't want Ronaldinho he wanted Drogba uh, that's the story uh, I don't know how much legs there are to it or anything like that uh, but other key acquisitions were obviously Paolo Ferreira but more crucially was Ricardo Tricky Dicky Carvalho who came in from Porto with him um, who obviously formed one of the strongest partnerships uh, in the, in the Premier, League, uh, Premier League history Um I think the only ones that I'd, I'd again, going back to that 08 team at United, I feel that Terry Carvalho is only rivaled by uh, Vidic and Ferdinand, personally. That's my my belief anyway. Um, I have a little prologue. I said I'd had a prologue. I'm it's, looking forward to it. So, so I, shall I start with the prologue? Yes. Let's start with do. the prologue. <laughs> uh, okay, so what I'm going to try and do here is I'm trying to set the scene as to how we ended up um, in the situation where we had a billionaire taking over the club in uh, the summer of 2003. Um, the story starts, this part of the story starts anyway, in no, uh, 92. Ken Bates crucially won a legal battle uh, for Stamford Bridge. So uh, there was a situation where the, cl- uh, the club, the team, were going to be turfed out. Um, evicted from Stamford Bridge by developers, which obviously would have been a fucking disaster for the club because they would then not have a stadium. Um, they won. 
that legal battle, the Chelsea pitch owners were created. They still own the ground to this day, uh, which basically means anything that happens with the football club and the stadium has to kind of go through the pitch owners. So the redevelopment of Stamford Bridge required the pitch owners' approval. Similarly, for the club to move to a new stadium away from Stamford Bridge, it also needs the Chelsea pitch owners' sign-off. So, so this is why... Whenever we, because obviously look, it's quarantine, right? We're locked down. Premier League years is on all the fucking time. Um, anytime you watch Premier League years from any point in the nineties, there's there's just basically building works going on. Exactly. Or the um, car park. Or the, right, the, the fucking car the, park. The car yeah. park. So the crucial thing here was winning that legal battle meant that the club could look to uh, rejuvenate the stadium. Um, that's the next point that happens. So Ken Bates starts looking for finances to re- rejuvenate Stamford Bridge. Matthew Harding. Uh, who's a season ticket holder at the uh, at Chelsea, uh, comes on board for the Chelsea Village Project. That's what it was called to kind of uh, rejuvenate the stadium, bring it up to better standards to take them from obviously having a car park within the stadium to actually being a f- proper football stadium. So I know Matthew Harding, obviously, he has the stand name bathroom and everything. But I have That's no right. idea who the guy is. So Matthew Harding um, was an extremely wealthy individual back in 93. I think he ranked in the top 15 richest people in the country constantly being bankrolled aren't they these guys <laughs> <laughs> it's what happens when you're in west london um his father was a season ticket holder and then he became a season ticket holder so matthew harding had an affinity for the club um and i'd always wanted to kind of get more involved he saw this opportunity apparently in the financial times um to get on board with the football club so he brings in huge money with him um trying to think if it was about five to five to seven million is what he put in to to help with the rejuvenation project and that would put him in a position to become um kind of a director at the club um so in 93 that all starts to come come about uh similarly at that time glenn hoddle comes on board so part of uh, matthew harding's uh kind of input into the club was to take the club from where it had been in the, the early earlier 90s and the 80s where the club was kind of trending in a terrible direction to try and breathe uh, new life into it. And Glenn Hoddle was a key part of that at the start of it. And this is before Spurs and Chelsea had a rivalry, I assume, right? Because that's only a recent thing, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Um, I think it's always been there, but I think at this point it's fair to suggest that Tottenham couldn't give a fuck about Chelsea. My, uh, my, my favourite thing about Glenn Hoddle uh, in, in, in the Chelsea time is in the 94 FA Cup final. <laughs> I think we just put our third in or something like that. And it cuts to the bench and Glenn Hoddle was player manager, right? He was, yeah. And he gives it the biggest look at me. I'm the man. I'm not happy with all these cunts. Ooh, there's, a, there's a C-bomb. Mm-hmm. I'm not happy with these players not performing to my standards. And he starts slowly unzipping the tracksuit because he was on the bench, you see. And then he comes on as if to say, I'll show you all how to do it. And it was just like, fuck off, mate. Like, but that's like, Glenn, isn't it, right? That, just, that was one of his issues as a manager. It literally it? is. And it's just like, ugh, come on. I've got a lot of time to listen to Glenn Hoddle other than when he's talking about Tottenham. I think that it's, it's fair to say that Glenn Hoddle was a Tottenham fan and certainly has no affinity to Chelsea Football Club anymore. Um, 95 rolls around. And this, is, this kind of goes to what I was saying, that a crucial moment happened with the football club. Uh, the day after Everton lifted the FA Cup at Wembley in 95, um, at the Marriott Hotel, uh, somewhere in Slough, I think it was, um, a meeting took place between uh, Kim Bates. Yeah, I don't know why they were there. I can't answer that. Uh, Bates, Harding, 
Hoddle um, and manager director Colin Hutchison, uh, they, they, a meeting takes place where they decided that uh, they wanted to change the direction of the club from uh, being a middle-of-the-road football club uh, to try uh, and be ambitious and try breaking into kind of the higher end of the league. And I think that Everton, crucially winning that trophy... Uh, maybe was the, the the stimulation that they needed to kind of go for it. Chelsea at this point had gone probably 25 years without winning anything. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it was some time before uh, they, they, they'd actually seen success, but Everton crucially had shown that teams can still be successful despite obviously Manchester United being strong, Liverpool being strong, Leeds before that. Um, over that summer, they signed Hullet and Mark Hughes. Now, Mark Hughes obviously came to an end at Manchester United, and we touched on that fact in the last podcast. Um, but he was massive for Chelsea because he was still, although later in years, still a top-level player. And he actually had a really good time um, at Chelsea as well. I think he was key uh, in, in taking Chelsea to that that first successful era in the Premier League for them. Um, <clears throat> We saw him score a couple of goals today, didn't we? Watching Premier League years. Yeah, the 96-97 season. He's a good player. I mean, ultimately, Mark Hughes, I feel that his managerial and his surliness has probably taken away from how good a player he actually was. He's a man that played... He played for Barcelona, right? Yeah. That's how good he was. There's no... When I was growing up, I was always told by, again, my dad, as usual, Mark Hughes, great, great, good volume. Got a great volume on him. Yeah, that was his his piece, right? Um, Oldham, semi-final, 94... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two, the first hallmark signings, obviously Hullet was a massive signing. Could you imagine Rude Hullet, former Ballon d'Or winning player? How, um, I, how, did, how did you get Rude Hullet to Chelsea? Because uh, let's I, be clear, you guys were shit. They were shit. Um, and I'm imagining that that must have been... I'm Hullet and I'm rocking up to a car park and I'm just like, what's going on here? <laughs> Who am I playing with? So I'm assuming Glenn Scott Hoddle probably... Scott Mint. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Hoddle probably carry some stroke with players at that age, right? They would have probably been aware of Glenn Hoddle, the player. Uh, Glenn Hoddle would obviously had some um, international flavour to him from playing, I believe, at Monaco, Monaco. and Marseille Monaco, with those the two yeah. clubs. Um, and I imagine money was the other key factor. London, that's always a good selling point. Um, and they must have sold the vision of where they wanted to take the club to. Um, over the next season, they would also add Luca Vialli, um Roberto Di Matteo and obviously massive, massive signing in Franco Zola for 5.6 million. Um, tragically, then in 96, after all these signings come in, uh, Matthew Harding would have uh, his helicopter accident um, returning from a game, a League Cup game away at Bolton. Um, but that season, after that moment, uh, Chelsea would then go on to, to end 26 uh, 20, 26 years without a trophy by winning the, the FA Cup um, against Middlesbrough. Uh, they then go on for the next three seasons, uh, winning the League Cup, uh, winning the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, and then also qualifying for the Champions League after a very successful season in '99. I think they actually pressed that United team all the way with Arsenal. Now, admittedly, we know that was a low-scoring season. That's probably why Chelsea were there or thereabouts. But th- this was a good team. Um, skipping forward a few years, um, Chelsea, last day of the season, 2003, uh, play Liverpool in the last home game of the season, uh, a game where win or draw, they qualify for Europe. So a big moment, um, especially taking into account that by all accounts, the story goes, uh, had Chelsea not made Champions League football, they were going to be in a financial shithole, basically. Well, this is my question to you, because once Matthew Harding wasn't around anymore, where's the money coming from? Yeah. Yeah. And when you're chasing the dream, it's expensive, right? Um, that was the problem. 
That was Ken, yeah, exactly. That was Ken Bates' problem. He, he didn't have the finances really to chase the dream. And, and Leeds is a perfect example as to what probably would have happened to Chelsea without this additional financing coming in. So I have one other question before obviously we get to Roman, your hero. Yes. Um, the, 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 you know, the famous story is Ken Bates bought the club with a quid. Can you explain that? Because I've never, again, I've never understood what the fuck's that about either. So, this, I mean, is this is this Ken Bates buying the club or? Yeah, like the, yeah, basically, I, there's always a thing of Ken Bates and a pound, and that's how he bought Chelsea or something. It's, right? it's because the level of debt. So when you pay that pound, you're also taking, taking on the debt. debt as yeah. well. So when when say a club's obviously say tens of millions in debt, the pound is just uh, I think a. A topper. I think that has to happen. Like a financial change of hands has to take place still. And a pound is just the nominal fee, which it has to be. And how much debt were there? I don't know is the answer to that one back then when that happened. Classic Chelsea, shady books going on, yeah? Is it Ken Bates that gets then to sell to Roman? Yeah. And does he make a a nice profit then? Or is he exactly the same thing? You go, here you go, Roman, here's your debt. We didn't clear it. Um, got well, considerable more now. Yeah. Now we've been playing the likes of Viali and Huller for all these years. <laughs> so uh, the club was sold for 140 million to Roman Abramovich in the summer of uh, 2003. Um, and did he take on debt? So I don't believe the debt was there. I, I, that's something again that maybe if I dug a bit deeper into the, the actual books of it all. I don't think, I, I, think, I think people have been trying to dig into the books for quite some time. Yeah, <laughs> I think they, they were certainly being debt. mislaid. There's certain books are on a club. yacht somewhere at the moment, mate. Oh, unfortunately, in international <laughs> waters, can't no jurisdictions there, mate. Um, I believe that there were some concerns, but however, I did listen to a podcast recently where the lawyer of Ken Bates spoke about this, and his suggestion was that in securing Champions League football, they would have been financially fine. Um, that's why they needed to qualify for for Champions League at that point because we didn't have a billionaire owner on the horizon. Apparently, there had been some discussions going on with American uh, businessmen, but it seemed that every time it got to the point about the ground and the fact that the Chelsea pitch owners owned the ground, that's when interest would cool. So you make of that what you will, right? Yeah. Uh, so in the summer of 2003, a wealthy Russian, obviously, is looking to buy a football club in London. Uh, he holds talks with Daniel Levy, uh, obviously of Tottenham Hotspurs. Uh, Levy offers him 29% of Tottenham Hotspurs. Um, but Roman uh, and his lawyers make it clear that he wants to buy a football club. He wants to control a football club. So he leaves... Um, Apparently, uh, on his travels via helicopter, he goes over, I think, Craven Cottage, which had its pitch torn up at the time um, and was a little bit concerned uh, about why why he should be buying this football club uh, until it was pointed out that was Fulham. Um, mm. Gets to Stamford Bridge and obviously, as we've already touched on, they own the ground, they've renovated the ground. And these are two key points in why Roman Abramovich would ultimately buy Chelsea Football Club. The third point was that Ken Bates was looking to sell. Um, and then, obviously, uh, Roman buys the club over that summer, Chelsea would invest 111. <laughs> Sorry, I've got the, uh, the 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 Mr. Burns episode of The Simpsons where he sells the plant. Ah, what a coincidence. <laughs> you are desperate to buy and we are desperate to sell. <laughs> so, Apologies. So, no, uh, so Roman, would, like I said, he'd invest 111 million in playing staff for Ranieri um, at this point. Um, they'd have a successful season, but no silverware, crucially. Um, Chelsea would also have what I think was an incredibly disappointing evening um, in Monaco and then at Stamford Bridge in the semi-final where 
really, uh, once they got past Arsenal, crucially, the Invincibles, Chelsea uh, slayed the Gunners at Highbury. Wayne Bridge coming up big in the in the last four minutes of the game, uh, ending their European dreams. And it's interesting to think of that team because how exceptional the Invincibles were. Um, that had they got past Chelsea, they would have played Monaco and then Jose Mourinho's uh, Porto in the in a European Cup final with the opportunity to to win the Champions League, which is something obviously Wenger never ultimately did. Um, that was their that was their opportunity um, and their window closed. And Henri actually uh, big game bottle jobbed that game. Uh, I watched the highlights only recently, and he had three guilt edge chances in the first half to kill it, and he missed them all. Um, Would Shearer have put them away? Uh, yeah, because because Shearer is a better goal scorer than Thierry Henry. Interesting. Mm. Who, who's uh, the top goal scorer in this season that we're going to be talking about? <laughs> uh, mm. Top goal scorer for Chelsea was actually Frank Lampard, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's going to be about Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with, with the disappointment of not making the final, um, I feel that the writing was on the wall for... Um, Claudio, uh, the Tinker Man. Um, and- well, this would be the blueprint for Abramovich's time at Chelsea, right? Oh yes, yes. Uh, cut time, front, no winning, winning only. Um, and in the search for a winner, there was one that was evident there. A very confident young man in the name of Jose Mourinho, who had been fortunate himself. It, it's, it, I don't know if it's forgotten, um, but if it wasn't for Tim Howard spilling. Yep a shot, his Porto crash out in the last 16. And although... He's a nobody. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to say he's a nobody, but he doesn't have Chelsea to build his name off. Um, and he's probably Liverpool's manager at that point. And it was a pretty blah team, although they did win the European Cup in the following season, annoyingly. Uh, and that's something, again, we'll get to. Um, but just Joe- interest, Wood, sorry, mm-hmm. just before you crack on. How did you feel about Ranieri going? Did you feel like it was uh, fair? Did you did yeah, you recognise at the time that he needed to be moved on so uh, you can get a bigger name in? I, I did. Well, even a bigger name. Is, is, was Jose Mourinho a bigger name then? The man had literally just won the European Cup um, with Porto. So... At the time, and I ran was down the touchline. Right? It's, it's, it's always the running down the touchline that you think with Mourinho at Old Trafford, isn't it? But like when he's your look, it's a classic thing, isn't it? Where uh, you think of bastard footballers when they're your bastard footballer, you love them unconditionally. When there's someone else's bastard footballer, you fucking hate them. That's how it's meant to work, right? With Mourinho, he was ours. He was our, our arrogant arsehole, and I kind of feel that he. He was a perfect manager uh, for Chelsea Football Club at that moment. This nouveau rich, West London arrogance that had kind of come about and would look to kind of monopolise the Premier League um, at that moment. He, he was the perfect man to come in. Truthfully, I felt Ranieri had run his course. I felt... Um, never felt he was ever going to be capable of winning the league. Now, obviously, he would go on and do that at Leicester. Uh, but if you look at all of his other jobs that he did post Chelsea, there's nothing to suggest that he was anything more than a okay manager. The, the issue for him though was that the the media got onto him like they this did. whole tink tinker man thing. You know, ultimately what he was doing is what what happens in football now. Yeah, it's just squad rotation. No, it's squad <laughs> rotation. Um, the, I think the second he made the changes at Monaco, where we had the game comfortably in hand in the first leg of the Champions League semi final, and we lost the game. I think it was done. Um, he he'd shown himself to be tactically naive in the biggest moments. Um, in in that season in two thousand and three, um, 
we, we, we were in a title race with Arsenal and then we had a big game at Stamford Bridge where we took the lead against Arsenal um, and they would go on to win the game. And it was those moments that mattered. You can be, you can be, um, you can do the rotation and tinker with the team if you're, if you're winning and you have some degree of success behind you with that club. Look at Emery. You know what I mean? He, mm. he came in, tinkered yeah. away like a madman, and just looked, it looked tactically inept because he never knew what he was. He never was clear what he was trying to do. No. And I think, um, you know, Ranieri, I mean, I remember at the time my thoughts were Chelsea were never really, I was never worried about Chelsea. No. Well, what, you know, we never got a result at Stamford Bridge, but that's just. That's just history, it isn't it, right? But the, um, I never thought that you were going to do anything because I just never thought, there was never. A killer instinct there. There was never. There was. Do you know what I mean? There wasn't. You weren't. Yeah, absolutely. No, at all. That, that, was, that comes from the manager. It does. It was that classic Chelsea thing at that time, uh, where there was a time where Chelsea were everyone's second favourite team to an extent because they were fun to watch. <laughs> Why was But this? they'd never win anything, right? Yeah, it was, it was true. It's true. Oh, what in the cup winners' cup days? It kind of like maybe obviously pre Abramovich, and I kind of feel yeah. that Ranieri plays into that part of just they're no threat. Yeah, and when they're no threat to win stuff, people can't get jealous of a team if they're not winning anything. I did enjoy when you bought Kasaragi, I must say. <laughs> yeah, um, and sadly we lost. Going back to the '99 season where we pressed you lot, um, that was the season where he got hurt, and mm. I think that Zola touches on it. He says it's a shame because he feels that we could have pushed a bit harder had we had an extra pair of legs in there. Um, but obviously that's. Didn't happen, did it? In any event, the prologue has taken 31 minutes or so. Well, we so got there. We got there. We got now, there eventually. Now, now we can skim through all the, all the juicy stuff. But skim, we've already touched he on it. Skim. <laughs> <laughs> so we've already touched on, obviously, Jose Mourinho arriving. Um, the infamous press conference where he announced himself um, as a European champion and, and the fact that he think he's a special one. Uh, something I am that, a special one. That would... Uh, he'd tag himself for basically the entirety of his career at that moment. Um, I feel at times he... Well, it was a misquote though, wasn't it? it well, he, the exact quote is, I think I am a special one. And it's been turned around to the special one. Yeah, exactly. It's a classic British kind of twisting off. Um, but, you know, he, he also did say in that press conference, uh, we have uh, pl- uh, top players and I'm sorry if I'm arrogant, but we have a top manager. Uh, the man arrived and he was brash, very brash. But um, first game, great game to start with for Chelsea was off out the blocks with Manchester United at home. Um, now, I, I know you've got thoughts about this because it was the first time that you would have sat down and, well, for both of us to watch Didier Drogba in action. I was terrified, mate. He, the, the, um, Is this the game where he was caught offside a million times? <laughs> he, because uh, we lost this game 1-0, am I It correct? was just 1-0, that's yep. right. So uh, this game I watched with you, Mr. Collard. We debate this because I always say we were in the goat. I was in the goat and boot. You weren't. You were with me because I had. Uh, I was in the goat and boot. In any event, because I remember all I remember is Drogba constantly flopping, and I was like, well, what's, no, the, what's, the, what's so the big deal I with this guy?" I don't remember in that game. I just remember in this game he looked physically like the players around him were players, and he was a giant horse. <laughs> and I, I always thought, I remember saying to you at the time, so I did say this to you, he looks like a horse running through, like he's so much more powerful and just just like an unstoppable force of horse. 
You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I, I couldn't, but I, I was when, amazed when, by when it. We, yeah, when we did our top 10 um, Premier League strikers, I had Drogba, I think, up in like fourth or fifth because I rated him that much. Because he, he didn't score that many goals compared to no. the other strikers. He was never he, prolific. He, he, he was a presence and he scared me. Like, he, if he was on the pitch, I'm like, oh. He was, the, he was the guy that redefined, for me, playing centre-forward on your own. Because yeah. United used to have Van Nistelrooy playing centre forward on his own, and he used to hate having a strike partner. He used to like playing up there on his own because he knew that he'd get all the chances. Yeah. With with drug and and because of that, you almost have to play a very certain way just to make sure that he is the focal point. But he's not involved in any build up. He is just the man at the end tapping it in. With with Drogba, you felt like because he was so powerful, because he was so strong, it was yeah, it was. Fast as well, he had, he had a good engine on him. He had a good touch. He could bring other players into play, but then he could finish as well. He was such an all-round menace mm-hmm. that, as you talked about, even though he wasn't scoring with the proficiency of a Van Nistelrooy, he just was so damn more effective. And it was it was horrible to play against. I used to really worry coming up against that Chelsea team. And my first impressions of him were just, oh no, <laughs> oh no, this is horrible Did news these, for us. These look different. These look different. Yeah, because exactly. yeah. that, that was the key with Mourinho's team. They were physical, really physical. That's why I really like these teams. I preferred football at this time because of the physicality of the game. Um, you kind of think of the teams that Chelsea would obviously add Essien into this unit as well. But uh, physical, tough to play against. And John Obi Mikel. Oh. And Boozy, he comes in at some point, doesn't he? Yeah, Boozy's in there. But obviously we've got Cloud Makaleli, who's somewhat of a forgotten man these days. Um, a man who obviously... Uh, Madrid uh, let go because they didn't want to pay him because they had a team of Galacticos and I think that at that time Zidane was like what the fuck are you doing Um, because all of us like to be at that end and this guy and this guy was doing all of our water carrying Um, so he was obviously crucial to to the fact that Frank Lampard had such an incredible season for Chelsea Um, so obviously out of the blocks, beating Manchester United, that's that's obviously putting a marker down and a big marker as well Um, they would open with four consecutive victories Followed by uh, two draws, so I think they took twenty of the uh, the twenty four points available to them to start the season, which is a good going. But at the same time, Arsenal were equally rolling as well. They had a really strong start to the season and continuing their obviously unbeaten run uh, through. Chelsea would then go to uh, I think it was the City of Manchester Stadium at the time before obviously the new owners came in and they call it Eastlands, whatever. Yeah, it was some some something that it wasn't the Etihad basically, um, and they'd lost the game. That was their one defeat of the season. Um, it was a penalty. It was Nicholas and Nelka. I remember watching that game in a pub um, in King Kingston uh, because that's where I did go to university before I went to Hertfordshire uh, on my own because I was like, <laughs> yeah. did, did know this? and I just remember just sitting there, just thinking, I can't believe this is happening because I just got so used to just us not losing. Just a quick one on on Nelka again. Watching Premier League years today. I did not know that he saw... So the first thing is that... Right? <laughs> there is a first thing. Right. The first thing is, is that uh, he was likened to Maradona. No one ever has likened Nicholas Anelka to Maradona. Who but in Premier him? League years... Tyler, uh, wasn't it? Uh, Mayan Tyler oh, was like Tyler. likened him to a young Maradona. He was 17 years old when he signed for Arsenal. Yeah, he, he was... What he the was... fuck? I had no idea he was that young. So he came from Paris, forever, didn't he, but... for what? Is it 900,000? Um, and Ian Wright will tell you because obviously Ian Wright was the lead striker, and then he yeah. arrived, and then he was like, "Holy shit! Yeah, like my career is uh, yeah. done." Um, he was incredible because he obviously had some time at Chelsea, and that's forgotten about. But his partnership—not forgotten by me, son. <laughs> well, no, 
Uh, I think well, I don't know because I don't know for sure which era you're going yet with yours. Uh, we know which a, era it is. There's, there's Are we talking? Oh, I've got a chapter dedicated to Nicholas Anelka taking a penalty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that next week. But um, he, he obviously was very good with with Drogba. Um, I think he had a golden boot as well at Chelsea. Admittedly, only with 19 goals in that season, uh, which says more about um, the goal scoring in that season than anything else. But um, he did score the penalty. Um, it was disappointing. I've got a feeling it might have been Keegan's Man City as well. Oh, yeah. It's even worse. Which is proper shit, isn't it? Um, but my next key moment actually came the following weekend, um, the 23rd and the 24th of October. So obviously 24th of October is my birthday. Um, and there was a big, big moment that happened on that day. I think it was my 19th birthday. Uh, but Chelsea played on the 23rd. They spanked Blackburn. Um, uh, but United hosted... The unbeaten forty-nine game streak Arsenal, <laughs> who were top of the table at that point, um, in, in a game which I personally believe derailed Arsenal's season, which allowed Chelsea to become champions. That's my. I, I still look at that game and I, I feel Chelsea didn't even play in that game. But how important it was to Chelsea's season cannot be underestimated. Dude, Arsenal have never been the same since. You know what? It's, it's fair to say they haven't won a league title since, and that big game ability hasn't been there since either. Because this was a massive game, and I remember watching it because Arsenal were the better team. I think it's fair to suggest that, and they had moments. There was that moment with Henri and Rio, which mm-hmm. uh, could have gone another way. It didn't. But I remember Henri. It was weird because it happened, and Henri kind of walked away like it was nothing. And it was like, hang on a minute, I'm pretty sure that that. That could have been a red card, but it obviously wasn't. But um, it wasn't his coming out party, Wayne Rooney, because obviously he'd had several coming out parties before that. Um, and, and I guess this is a good Arsenal time. before as well. <laughs> Crucially. And I think that's a good time to talk about the, obviously that moment in the, in the 0405 season, which is obviously Manchester United signing their, their future uh, leading scorer um, as a club. So the first thing I'd like to say about Wayne Rooney is that the shirt... We were wearing that in the 0405 season. It's the worst Man United shirt we've had in the entire time of Man United. Um, a terrible shirt. And I just remember Alan Smith wearing it for some reason. Trust me, mate. It wasn't this oh, bad. Mate, he was a big player for you at the start of the season, Alan Smith. I, I, I have no issue with Alan Smith. He's an unsung legend, by the way. Not for Man United fans, but for Leeds fans. Because him getting sold saved that club from administration. There you go, mm. and that's why he that's why he did it as well. Yeah, but mate, I had the worst thing out of all the you know with shirts. You know, I'd obviously recently just acquired a Ronaldo shirt. <laughs> so whilst he's wearing a shit Man United shirt, at least you know he's playing for your club. You know, I've forked out forty quid and put ten pounding lettering on the back. You know, just to find out you're fucking moving on. You know, a few months later. Well, can I ask a question? Like, why did you get Ronaldo? Because that's how he was being dubbed, weren't it? You know, like he's Ronaldo. Because the thing is, like, if, 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 if basically we sat down and said, who's the least likely person to own that shirt? It would be you, Lee. Hey, wait, there's no the doubt fan. about it. Like, you're the Everton fan. And, and the thing is, there's no way I could ever see Lee Collard getting Ronaldo on his shirt. <coughs> Finn would be the number one guy to get it, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Finn, absolutely. I, you, followed by Jackson. Do you know, actually, when, I got, I, when, I, when I bought that shirt, I went to... Um, JJB? No, I went to watch Everton Chelsea when we lost 3 1 in the 2003 season. So the Gronkier and Onsworth got sent off. Jasper Gronkier. Wow. But no, talking about Rooney, yeah. 
I was gutted, by the way, when this happened. I can imagine. I was gutted. I can imagine. Like, his debut, not just for the show. The debut in Europe against was Fenerbahce. Crushed was, me. Yeah, he, he crushed them, to be fair. <laughs> um, this was, it was an interesting season for, for, for Rooney um, and, for, and for United. He was only, like, I've got it in front of me somewhere. The signings we made that summer, um, or that season, um, we literally signed um, Wayne Rooney, Giuseppe Rossi, and Gerard Piquet. Fuck me. Is that right? That's the only signings we And we, we let go that season. Nicky Butt, Luke Chadwick, Diego Forlan, Eric Jemba Jemba, Roy, Callow, Roy Carroll, um, and then some shit. Um, well, they are shit, to be fair. Um, like, it was a very... Man United at that point, obviously, uh, Keane was waning you know, very much. These powers had waned quite, quite a long way. And we were very much... That was the start of a transition, um, but Rooney, looking back, he was incredible in that time period. Absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. And for that, that Arsenal game where um, we ended their run, for me, even though we were not you know, nowhere near peak United, that for me was a case of, I don't know, in, in a weird way, we beat them. And then after that, the Arsenal United games were, were just, let's just kick the shit out of them because they ain't got it anymore. It's fair because and it just this... set the template for it. it. They just haven't got it anymore. That victory, because it was unjust, I think in Arsenal's fans' eyes to this day, they mm. think it. They dived. I agree with them. It wasn't a penalty. It shouldn't have been a penalty. Um, it was unjust, and they've never gotten over it. Because crucially, that's Pizzagate. Crucially, yeah. as well, Neville kicked the fuck out of Reyes, which led to what happened later in the season with Vieira and Keane, which later basically led to United beating them there as well. Like I say, it, it seems that this was the moment where Arsenal stopped being that uh, that powerful force of victory uh, to being what we now see Arsenal Football Club Soft. as. It was a massive moment. It's a massive moment for Ruud van Nistelrooy as well because it, obviously the season before he had the moment with the penalty, the crossbar and, and Martin Keown. And obviously... I, Which is one of the most disgraceful things ever to happen in the history of our sport. Yeah? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, Disgusting. It, the, the, we're all for shithousery. I'm still furious about this, by the way, to this day. We're all, we're all fans of shithousery, right? That ain't shithousery. Right, that is like something else. It's what called the cuntic being a cunt mate is what it is. It, it's exactly being what a it complete was. dick. I have to be the the, the C bomb for it. And whenever I sit there and I li- and I think of Martin Keown, right, and I I see him, you know, do that. Th- what did what did he do to Venice? Kind he of just, just, just classes him with his own. He, he just, just jumps up and down. Yeah. I then yeah. think of Martin Keown on his fucking bus listening to simply the best. Right? Key things to remember as well about it. Roy Keane wasn't on the pitch at that point, right? He'd already been sent off, I think. Yeah, I think so. Does Martin Keown? <laughs> do that with Roy Keane on the pitch was it Keane or was it um, was it Skull no it was one, I think it was Keane wasn't it I thought it was Keane that got yeah. his walking because I, I don't believe that Martin Keown's such a tough guy that he'd do that with Roy Keane on the pitch he's simply the best man. the thing yeah. is as well with that as a whole uh, scene was you know poor old Rude and I actually felt sorry for him mate yeah. I felt his, his so face, bad. his face looks so like the, 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 the celebration though when he does oh, score yeah. when it's just it is literally a, vis- a guttural moment for him yeah. so I've derailed it horribly Go but that, that, that obviously as we said that was a key moment because Arsenal from that point on uh, they weren't the same um, they would drop 12 points in their next 6 games Arsenal <laughs> you know, they, they, and in the same period Chelsea just dropped 2 so but every can... Arsenal fan that that has spoken to me in my life and said oh, we want it in your backyard yeah well we ruined football for you for the next 20 years <laughs> it is that way man it is it's like that yeah um, 
beautiful. Didn't you go on an eight-game winning spell as well in this season? So, was that yeah, up later? Uh, that's coming up later. It's in here somewhere. I've got, yes, Chelsea have gone on a run of eight consecutive wins, crucially over Christmas, which we know is like the, the crit- critical time of putting a championship campaign together is winning your games over Christmas, and Chelsea did that. Um, the next crucial game I've actually got is Chelsea going to Highbury. Um, a bit of a, a difficult ground for Chelsea mm-hmm. other than in European Cup quarterfinals. Couldn't uh, deal with that screeching woman, could you? The, the, old, <laughs> God, the screeching woman, woman, yeah. Um, and they actually fought back from behind twice on that on that day to draw two all um, at, at Highbury. Uh, I believe that was the game where... I, I still get annoyed by this. There's a couple of moments. I like Ardiger Johnson. I, I think he's a super player. Um, I never felt he was uh, elite enough to be a starting player in an elite level football club. Poor man's Berbatov. I think that's kind of fair because you know Berber was mustered I think there's a lot good Johnson could do and there was a lot of great moments but uh, there's two moments that in this season that stick with me one of them is actually in this game uh, where Henri's put the ball down to take a free kick and he's asked or the referee's asked him if he wants to take it quickly and Henri says yes at this point good Johnson's standing in front of the ball so when he hears yeah when he hears that he's taking it quickly good Johnson instead of standing there decides to move away from the ball, turns his back to Henri to start shouting at the players that he's going to take it quickly. Henri then took the free kick quickly and scored. Uh, and it's like, like, how unprofessional is that? Ridiculous moment. But um, crucially, Chelsea drew to all. They then go on an eight-game uh, winning run across Christmas, as we just said, uh, including big wins at Liverpool and at Spurs. Um, and then a really hard-fought game at Ewood Park um, where... I haven't touched on Robin a lot in this, but um, Robin would get crocked in that game. I think he'd miss like a significant portion of the season at that point as well. I think it was three months he would be out with an injury, um, which is basically his Chelsea career. Uh, he scored seven goals that season, I Robin. He wouldn't score more for Chelsea in a season than seven in the league, which is surprising. Who was playing on the other side? It was Duff. Duff and so and the, but then obviously after Robin it was Cole and Duff were the two. It right? was yeah yeah. yeah. Um, so Chelsea went on. Came uh, here pre- Duff. Oh, Cole, look- Cole comes in at the end of this season yeah. So Joe Cole or Ashley Cole. Joe. Joe Cole joined the first season with Roman and there's a do you know the story about the shirt uh, number and Veron. No. Right, so... the I forget story, you had Veron as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so we signed Veron um, the first summer of Roman. Uh, we bought him in, obviously, from Manchester United. On, on of- that Veron one, just very, very quickly, in that pre-season, he played one of the most outrageous balls to assist a goal that I think Forland scored in a pre-season game for Man United, just literally like a week before he went to Chelsea, that I've ever seen. I was furious when he went to Chelsea because I was like... He's 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 going to do it this season. Look at this ball. Look at this amazing yeah. ball. Honestly, if you if you can hunt, I've only ever found a really crappy quality version of it on YouTube of this pass, mate. It's out fucking rageous. You owe it to yourself to look it up on YouTube. Veron pre-season assist. I will, I will try finding this, but we did mm. sign Veron and we signed Joe Cole that that summer. Now, um, Veron, it wouldn't work out for Chelsea. Um, I think Ranieri could have, but apparently. This is going way off track a little bit, but Ericsson was the manager that we were linked with before Jose. I wish. I wish so. Bad. Ericsson was the manager that they wanted. He was current England manager. Did this uh, fuck over Ericsson as well? It did because this started the the fall from grace, right? This, that's, that's a fair statement that the fall from grace yeah. started when he started being linked with Chelsea and obviously and he was flirting back and everything. And then obviously with um, 
God, the secretary, that all came out. It, it, basically, this was the start of the unravelling of Sven. Um, and obviously Sven, I believe, Veron played for Sven at Lazio. I'd have to suggest yes, uh, which is maybe why that player was brought in. I, you know how players, look at Pep, for example, is a perfect example. Uh, City go buy players and then Pep turns up and go, oh, those players are perfect for Pep Guardiola. And it's because Pep's already told them those are the players he wants. So that's kind of where they go. And I kind of feel that maybe happened with Veron. But the story goes... Veron uh, and Joe Cole came to sign their papers the same day at the club. And Joe Cole turned up with his dad, um, big Chelsea fans. And Veron turned up with his entourage, all looking swag, because obviously suits, sunglasses, etc. Um, and apparently Ranieri had promised Joe Cole the number 10 shirt. He turns up and Veron's got the number 10 shirt. And uh, Joe's kind of like, oh, whatever. But his dad's like, no, nah, he isn't signing that. Uh, unless he has the number 10 shirt. And everyone's What's like, the oh. mess of the cartel, eh? <laughs> everyone's like, what the fuck are we going to do? Um, so I think someone then phones Ranieri, uh, who then has to tell Veron over the phone, yeah, so I told him that he's going to be number 10, and that's kind of how Joe Cole ended up wearing 10 for Chelsea, and Veron ended up wearing number 20. <laughs> that Joe Cole basically... <laughs> Big dicked it in front of in front of one Sebastian Veron, which is incredible, right? I like what Joe Cole's dad did. To be fair, yeah, I love fair. how they used to go to Ranieri though to call him up. You know, poor old Ranieri. You know, shouldn't be worrying about these sort of things. Wait. Oh, what's this shirt number? Okay, right. Yeah, put I them don't on. give a fuck. <laughs> put them on. I'll sort it out. But yeah, um, just click ultimately, sign. ultimately for Ron um, and also Crespo as well, sadly, as well, who's a player that I absolutely adore. Um, and he did come back the following season. But those two players suffered when Mourinho turned up because Mourinho, we know Mourinho has a type of player and neither Crespo nor Veron would have been that player. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were both sent out on loan. I, I can't think for the life of me where Veron went, but obviously Crespo crucially went to Milan, um, who would then knock Manchester United out of the European Cup. Um, in the second round mm-hmm. and then also have some good moments in the Champions League final before that all went to shit um, speaking of Champions League finals and Liverpool is the next big game I've got and the reason this is crucial is the League Cup final against Liverpool um, bearing in mind Chelsea hadn't won anything uh, for I think four years at this point you'd knocked us out right in the semis is that right yes that's right yeah um, so they, they they were looking for their first piece of silverware in the Abramovich era and the first bit of silverware for a while so basically for this group it would have been the first taste of winning uh, and this is something that Jose would always look to do when he went into a football club he did it this time when he went in at, at Chelsea uh, he'd crucially do it again when he came back uh, for his second stint and crucially as well Manchester United he'd focus on winning it as well something that Jose wanted in fact Ferguson would also do that mm-hmm. uh, with this young group of players that would lead into obviously that exceptional team in our way they'd focus on getting winning habits by winning this League Cup and um, in, in the final um, Liverpool did take the lead they were leading until um, a player who had been linked with a move to Chelsea scored an own goal uh, Steven Gerrard crucially mm-hmm. scored an own goal uh, to which I believe I'm trying to think if it was the Gerrard goal or or the Jogba one in extra time. Uh, Jose gave the the shush to the Liverpool fans, which did upset them just a little bit. Endeared uh, him to you even more. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, ultimately, shushing Liverpool fans, beating the chest, all this stuff, mate. I'm all about that. Uh, and then the much maligned uh, Matteo Keshman, who looked like yes. a, it looked like a snip at six million pounds in the summer, who just. 
It just never worked. Um, that's the classic thing. Is he's he's on that spoken about where you you know when you bring players in from the Eredivisie, is he going to be Van Nistelrooy or is he going to be Kesman? Um, it didn't work. It just didn't. I was work. excited to see Kesman. I remember when you signed him. I was like, yeah, he's going to be. Is it going to be Yo- Johan or Jordi, right? <laughs> yeah, you know he scored goals of fun in the Eredivisie, and he just didn't work out. Um, he still so, scored a few though, didn't he? Not many at all, mate. Really? Not many at all. Yeah, not many at all. Um, and I kind of feel that his career after them really never kicked on, despite where he went. Um, he was well liked by his teammates, as, as it was shown by his bum, bumbling goal in the, in the League Cup final. Um, but that was an important moment in the season. Um, it was February. I think Chelsea looked like they were well on course at that moment to uh, to win the league anyway. Um, but winning that silverware, they would then. Um, I think Arsenal came to the bridge in April. Uh, and there was a nil-nil stalemate, and basically at that point, the, the title was done. Uh, in fact, it's probably done before that, which is the game at Highbury where Manchester United went there um, and knocked them off four-two, which is the battle in the tunnel between Keenan and Vieira. It was culminated by the glorious O'Shea chip, right? Unbelievable, glorious chip! What a goal! Ronaldo bagged a two on that day. Also gave the also Reacting. gave the shush to the <laughs> to, to the screaming lady as well. Yeah. <laughs> Enough of you. <laughs> You're not a nice guy. I just remember. I just remember Keane. Oh that, yeah, that phrase. You're uh, not a nice guy. Brilliant. This is it because with Roy Keane, you kind of feel that. Um, oh, I bet he's kind of got some disgusting things. He t- no, just just not a nice guy. You can imagine. And I remember looking at Vieira's face, thinking he he's finished. Like I remember looking at Vieira, and he was he, genuinely for a man his size. I thought he looked fucking petrified. <laughs> I, I still look at it now and I'm like, that's a man that's shitting himself because he's doing that kind of thing where he's trying to find something. He's not looking at Keane. He's deliberately not looking at him. He's finding something else to do. So he's kind of got a water bottle in his hand. He's taking a sip. He's trying to basically keep as far away from Roy Keane, who's just basically just going on off at him. It's an incredible moment. Um, and also the best moment, the other good moment in that thing is the handshake from Neville, right? Yes. You watched this the other yeah, day. Yeah, he gives the, it a real good firm one. Carries on the glance, yeah. <laughs> Um, the next big moment um, for Chelsea in that season um, touched on the fact that obviously Crespo took uh, t- United out of Europe was Chelsea 4-2 at, at the bridge against Barcelona um, who uh, this was just a big moment in, in, in Chelsea in the, in the sense of beating a legitimate European power that they played the first leg uh, at the Camp Nou uh, they were leading the first leg comfortably Drogba then got sent off controversially um, and Barca would come back and win the game 2-1 and this led to Mourinho accusing Rijkaard of going into the referee's dressing room at half-time and all this and ultimately it would end up with him getting a two-game suspension for the Bayern Munich next round game. Um, at the bridge in the return leg, Chelsea blew the doors off uh, Barcelona uh, with three goals in 19 minutes but then uh, Ronaldinho scored a penalty and then that Ronaldinho goal. That right? goal. That goal. Um, but crucially, John Terry would come up with a big moment himself in the, I think, like the 70 second minute or something like that um, I'm sure Barcelona fans will still point to the fact that Carvalho literally grabbed um, God who would it be in goal Valdez at that point to prevent Valdez getting across to it uh, so Carvalho with the assist uh, on that day uh, mass- I remember Club the celebration classic, classic Carvalho as well yeah shit housing, mate that's shit housing, right that's shit housing. that's basically doing what's necessary to win right none of this Ramos around- made a career of it mate Exactly. I mean, ultimately, we love these players. I, you know I love Ricardo Carvalho. Uh, what a player he was for Chelsea. Is Carvalho ever going to get into our shithousery Hall of Fame? Uh, it's inevitable, really. 
It's inevitable that he. I would like you to make a real case for it. Like I, I, ne- maybe next week, I want I want to hear solid reasoning. I mean, this 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 will be brought up, but ultimately, <laughs> Carvalho. They described him as having the dark arts of defending, um, and that's kind of the best way to describe him. Someone that <laughs> genuinely loved. Do you remember? Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no go for it. So off topic. I apologise. When we signed Matteo Damian. Oh, yes. Yes. I was so excited. Got a defender who knew the dark arts. Yes. Italian. And to be fair, he did. The best thing was his first, I would say, what, couple of games, months maybe? He was fucking brilliant. He was the dirtiest bastard you've ever seen. He was getting away with everything. He was solid. I don't know VAR, what would, VAR would have had him on toast, mate. Oh, it would have been death. It, I remember but, um, it, he was doing stuff like at corners, dragging, shirt pulls, you name it, he was, he was doing so, it. He was so dirty. It was, it was filthy. It was glorious. Um, but yeah, Chelsea would have that big result on the night. As I said, Mourinho was suspended for the next two games. Although then we get the wonderful story of Jose Mourinho in the laundry basket at Stamford Bridge. Um, we had Rui Faria with a hat on, who was constantly listening to someone in his ear um we also had i think the fitness guy was running to and from the dressing room with notes like Mourinho was literally in the dressing room um chelsea would win 4-2 um in the first leg uh, they'd be leading comfortably in the second leg 2-1 um until two late goals made it a little bit sketchy but progressed to a, a european cup semi-final uh where they would eventually face liverpool uh, then came the big day though uh, away at bolton of all the fucking places man of all the places um uh, four, so four days after a disappointing uh, Champions League semi-final draw um, at Stamford Bridge against Liverpool uh, we'd win our first title in 50 years um, Frank Lampard bagging both the goals on the day uh, I think that he was the perfect player to bag those goals to win the title um, the celebrations were obviously wild uh, even Roman was involved in that How was uh, it, what were your celebrations like how did you feel about it where were you I was actually at home. I watched the game at home. Um, it's kind of like a... When, when you kind of grow up in the middle of nowhere somewhat, um, there's not many football fans around. And those that are around, they tend to be Manchester United fans because that's our age group, right? Um, most most of the people our age are that way. And I think it would kind of be a thing for, for younger people now that probably the most of the fans are... Uh, probably City fans. Or <laughs> no, no, that's not true. Um, anyway, uh, I watched it at home and I remember like, it, it was incredible. Um, because it wasn't something... I say it wasn't something I, I, I didn't expect because I remember the 99 season and I do remember drawing at home because <laughs> of Steve Guppy. Uh, and I remember just being devastated. I watched that game, funny enough, with a Leicester fan and I remember being gutted because we were right in the title hunt at that point so it wasn't the case that I didn't think we'd ever do it Um, and obviously with this season the way it unfolded um, it was inevitable from October end of October that we were going to be champions Um, we had an air of invincibility so Roman Abramovich is basically your Thanos then yeah right at that point Chelsea were inevitable that was it. I think that was it, and I kind of feel that it probably played in a little bit to, to Ferguson's plans. It, 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 it felt that way to me as a United fan. It felt that way. I didn't think there was anything anyone could do. Certainly, at that point, they were the the first to have a billionaire owner who didn't have restrictions to worry about. He was able to kind of spend what he wanted, how he wanted, and um, the endless twenty five million pounds signings. Right. I, I I still to this day believe we underachieved. 
in the Abramovich era to what we did. And it's hard to pinpoint what I, I do kind of look to the moment where we sacked Jose Mourinho um, as a key moment. See, um, I, don't, I, I don't look to that moment. I look to the moment where you signed Sean Wright Phillips. For 25 million, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think, I think Woods is right in Mourinho. Yeah, no, and you I, go I, through I, like, I, a glut I, of managers. I do, I do agree. It, 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 Some of them are good, but they just weren't given the time or they were there for short term. Exactly. And I feel that ego's got in the way. Um, Dallas Cowboys style. Um, Dallas had uh, Jerry Jones, the owner, and they had Jimmy Johnson, the head coach, and they'd won two Super Bowls. Basically, Jimmy Johnson always felt because he was the head coach, he was the reason. And Jerry Jones, because he was the owner, always felt he was Jimmy the Johnson and Jerry Jones. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fuck right. off. Great names. Uh, and what happened Jimmy was Johnson. Jerry they se- Jones. They separated, right? Um, because they just this power struggle over who was responsible for the success. And I can't help but feel that maybe there was something to the Roman Abramovich and Jose Mourinho uh, situation that. Roman felt he was he was critical to it, and Jose felt he was, and egos collide. And um, you can make a case for both, though. Oh, it's exactly both. It's the same with the Cowboys. Without one, the other doesn't exist. It, yeah. it, it just it's it's a perfect. But the problem is, is that I, I don't. Their no, egos no, couldn't let them see that. I don't know Roman Abramovich well enough to suggest that uh, he's this kind of crazy ego driven person. But there are stories where I'm like that he's fucking mental. And ultimately what led to Mourinho being sacked was the game in the Champions League where we drew, God, I can't think was it Rosenberg or someone shit like that. Mm. And he came downstairs into the dressing room and had Chevchenko, um, uh, translate for him to the rest. And at that point, Mourinho was like, I'm done with this. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel that we, again, uh- uh, sorry, as as a as a you know a, a, another a team's fan, um, my, the impression I always had of Roman Abramovich is that he didn't know football. Yes, yeah. to be honest, I still got that impression. I don't think that he. I don't think he gets it. Still, I think he gets it more than he did. But I think he expected something that, and he got it. at the start, he got it. He got Mourinho. He got everything he wanted. And I think he. Just, he I think he just expected. Pump money in, turn the crankle handle, and look, success comes out. Mm. And then as soon as he started then wanting more, i.e. let's play some attractive football whilst we do it, I don't think Chelsea played that bad football, by the way. They didn't. I, 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 I think that's a complete myth, in my opinion, because you blew teams away. Um, and certainly in some of the, um, the, not the later years, but you were, I remember that one season where you were just spanking team 7-8-0 every fucking week. It was, it was bizarre. Yeah. But I think... Abramovich doesn't get it, man. And I think he just doesn't get it. I, I still don't think he gets it. So that era, obviously, I can't understand. I think to an extent you're right. I think he enjoyed the taste of victory. I think he liked watching his team win. Um, and I think it got to a point where, I don't know, it's how these people surround themselves with people, right? It's the people that got around them that make suggestions and this, that and the other. And I, I feel that his legacy hangs a lot on what's happening now as opposed to what happened then um the what happens now with the uh the youth revolution and a lot of these young players and everything that's going on now oh we're just talking about the process tm <laughs> the, the process yes uh I feel, I feel that legacy could be built off that um but that's obviously completely off topic but i like i said i, I my my firm belief is that i was 
devastated because you know I was because I was with you when Mourinho got sacked. Mm -hmm. And we know someone else that wasn't devastated because his initial reaction was, well, at least we're going to play attractive football now. And I remember telling him that he's fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> is this and, Jackson? Yes. What's this Jackson? Jackson and his handlebars. Um, and to be honest, I feel that, look, we talk about how great that Hero. team is. <laughs> we talk how great that team is in 08 from, from Manchester United, but Chelsea ran them close in everything. Um, and we had Avram Grant in charge. Yeah. You know, so... Um, it's a, it's a what could have been always for me with with that team. Um, ultimately, Mourinho's effect would still be there uh, in 2012, which would have been five years after he left. Um, and that's ultimately how that team still were playing football. Every manager that would come in, the reason they wouldn't last is because the players are still playing for Mourinho. That's how it felt a lot of the time. I feel Ancelotti had a positive effect. He obviously put a different style of football a lot more. Uh, we scored a lot more goals, etc., etc. under that Um Kieran would argue that he's a he's a fraud of a man, but um, <laughs> saying that I, I do remember that playing the United in those days, and I was a little bit like I thought that we were better than United at that point, but we just couldn't get past them because United still had Ferguson, and we didn't have a manager apparently that could get past them. But dude, and uh, that's do you know what that's <coughs> holy. Um, uh -oh. th that is how I feel in that later years, and I'll talk about this a lot next week. But obviously, Chelsea being the biggest threat to United in the oh eight oh nine era or around that time 07 08 or around that time yeah um we had ferguson and the the belief in a manager is massive absolutely massive i well, the, since um ferguson went Moyes never believed in him van gaal i love that man crazy bastard did you I, believe in him um i don't think i did to a degree but i think many people didn't and i think that was his undoing yeah. um but then, you look, other than that, I mean, fucking, when Mourinho came in, it took five minutes to realise that he was just a twat, completely broken <laughs> by his Chelsea time. His Chelsea time, he, he was still completely obsessed with Chelsea. Him. He was still obsessed with him. You think he, he still is, in my opinion, he still yeah. is. Well, that's why he went to Tottenham and walks around West London in a Tottenham training kit. He's obsessed with the club. Hoping to be relevant. Basically. So obviously Chelsea lift the title, or don't lift the title, crucially. They win the title at Bolton. Uh, then... <coughs> Um, Thank you. sour note of the season four days later um, Anfield European Cup semi-final with a ghost goal and um, Liverpool digging in deep and, and, and obviously knocking Chelsea out in the semi-final um, this is the second Johnson moment by the way he had a sitter like a fucking I, I, I still see it now because I watched the game in my front room Wednesday nights and he was through um he had the whole goal to hit and he put it wide and I remember being so devastated I turned the TV off and just fucking went straight to bed I was like fuck this because the thing was Liverpool was shit right that season crucially we'll get to you know what now's a good time uh, Liverpool finished fifth behind another team who broke into the top four that season really? and that was Ronaldo obviously as well yeah, having sold Wayne Rooney in in the the I think it would have been the summer still. I'm, I'm it was on the back of the back of uh, Euro two thousand and four, wasn't it? Where he just devastated teams because they had no idea how to deal with him. Um, Everton would go on a season under Moyes without Starboy uh, to finish fourth, mm. which is an incredible accomplishment, really, for the football club. And we bought through uh, James Vaughan as well, thinking he would be the next Wayne Rooney. <laughs> He'd become the youngest uh, goal scorer in the Premier he did. League. Yeah, that, he did. That didn't turn out right. Yeah. You win some, you lose some. Um, but that, that Everton team, I can't really remember much about him because Radzinski wasn't there at that point, right? He'd gone? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I don't really remember much about the Everton team other than being difficult to play against. Um, there would have been, still been a, a, an old Duncan Ferguson. There would have been like a Marcus Bent. Crap like that. Fourth. This Marcus team finished ben. fourth. It's incredible. <laughs> what this does to me is paint a picture of how shite that league was, really. <laughs> well, the fact, yeah, that well, Liverpool finished fifth, but then obviously then that opened up the can of worms because when they won their Champions League, it's like, well... Yeah, exactly. And th- this is the first time that uh, UEFA had this problem because um, they only allowed four qualifiers from England. So Liverpool weren't originally going to be in it, but then I think they had to find a way of putting them in. And that's how Everton, obviously... I think both teams went into the qualifiers, is that right? Or did Liverpool go into the main competition? No, I'm not too... I can't remember. I can't remember either, but obviously Everton got mugged by UEFA. Uh, because the problem they said- for Everton, though, is that we weren't, we weren't seeded. We weren't a seeded team. We hadn't been in Europe for God knows how long, so... For, was- for one reason and another. Um, and the thing is, Kalina is a historian, right? He, he, he needs it to be correct. He took one look at Everton and went, you don't belong here. Well, get well, out. Kalina, Kalina was Bold the poster boy UEFA for me. So if I was going to look for a referee to do a job to make sure there was only four English teams playing in Europe, either would be the one that I'd send because no one's going to question it. I watched the goal as well. Well, the, you know, the, the goal that was ultimately not given. And I still, I, I never see the foul. I just don't understand. That's because there isn't one, mate. <sighs> That's because there isn't a foul. Yeah. Um, money, money, money. Yeah, it's one of those moments, isn't it? Really, well, it's the theme of today's show, right? Money. <laughs> but yeah. Um, Devastated to lose that. Fortunately, we hadn't lifted the title at that point, so at least we had a pick up at the weekend in our last home game against Charlton. Um, what a proper party time atmosphere. Chelsea won the game 1-0 thanks to a scuffed penalty, which then was put in by Cloud McAuley. So they, obviously McAuley hadn't scored that season, so they, the boys wanted him to take the penalty, and he took a fucking disgustingly it bad awful, penalty. I remember. Uh, and was very fortunate to bobble the re- rebound in as well. You know that's when you, it's your season, though, when McAuley takes a shit penalty like that and then gets to whack in anyway. Yeah. So Chelsea would lift the trophy that day, and they'd finish the season um, with a guard of honour at Old Trafford. Um, I remember. <laughs> where that was, that was the cherry on the top, really, for Chelsea, because they went there. Uh, United took the lead, and then Thiago scored an absolute howitzer of a goal, man. He that was a mad goal. Was that... This may be wrong. That was the first time I remember Guards of Honour being a thing. I kind of feel it was. I kind of feel it was. I don't remember it being that being done. But if you, Arsenal United never done it to each no, other. No. And I, th- I do think that... Because Mourinho and Alex Ferguson always had a pretty good relationship yeah you know what I mean there was a lot of respect there there was I think and that was for me that was it wasn't embarrassing as a United fan it was like our manager for yeah, all the fucking the right shit thing, right? that Ferguson did throughout his career he did the right thing you know because Chelsea a, United when you search Chelsea United Guard of Honour you'll see that it's, it flips a lot both of them have done it a lot yeah. for each other um, which says a lot about this era of football that those two were winning a lot of things at that time um, and that, that they were the class of the field I think that this Chelsea team would push the next United team to being as great as they were um, Arsenal didn't win another league title because they couldn't match the same level of greatness Um that, that Chelsea were pushing United and United were able to achieve. Uh, so they'd win that game 3-1 on the day. Um, they'd finished the title 95 points, which I believe was a record at the time. Uh, they'd only conceded 15 goals that season, which is uh, still a record to this day. 25 clean sheets, that's still a record. 
John Terry would win the PFA Player of the Year award. Frank Lampard would win the PFA Fans Player and the Football Writers Player. Lampard himself finished with 13 goals and 18 assists. 31 goal involvements out of the 71 in the league that Chelsea had uh, scored. stats. Um, and Lampard would actually finish second in the 2005 Ballon d'Or votes um, to Ronaldinho, which says how how good he was ahead of Stephen Gerrard, crucially, uh, who had lifted a European Cup and then basically still didn't uh, win a Ballon d'Or. Um, that would have been so weird, I think, though, if Frank Lampard had won a Ballon d'Or. But Michael Owen did. Yeah. Uh, but Michael Owen electrified the world. He did. But it's weird because he electrified the world and then won a Ballon d'Or three years later. Yeah, it's very strange. It was a weird um, time. Just to sum up Man United's season in this one, because you've got it in front of you there, Lee. We finished Mate, third. Can I, yeah, can I also bring up the fact that Everton, f- finishing fourth with minus one goal difference. <laughs> finishing the Champions League <laughs> squad with minus one. Uh, wow. uh, we scored 45 and conceded 46. That tells oh. me that's a lot of one nils. Oh, that's a disgusting ones. season, mate. You only scored 40. That's... <sighs> Mm. That's not that's no good, man. The thing is, though, um, well, you alluded to the fact that you know the the, the standard. Well, I don't know. The fact is, there's a gap here of like 16 points between Man United and third and Everton and fourth. That's quite a lot. Our most used player is in the guy that made the most appearances in all competitions, and this is also the league as well. If you just look at the league, guess who it was for Manchester United? For Manchester United in this season. And, he, and it was like by like it was him almost on his own as well who's got the most amount of appearances both in the league and in all competitions as well sums up, sums us up this season mate um, you asked Brown? me about him the other day where's Brown is it no you asked me about him the other day Cleberson no Mikel Silvestre oh, holy wow. shit are you kidding me that that was our yeah we had I think we had. I think if I'm correct, we had Rooney outscored Van Nistelrooy by like a goal, I think. And it was like 17 to 16. And like, I think Smith got like 10. Um, you know, it, it was poor. We had Cleberson in there. Jemba Jemba left in January. It was um, Gabriel Einstein was there. The fucking... Oh. Um, yeah, Liam Miller was there, you know. Uh, uh, Dav- David Bellion was there for Christ's sake oh he, he scored because United started terribly this season he scored some important goals I think against Bolton to, to save a, a draw like yeah, um, yeah it, poor it was it was uh, well, you said it was a transition phase, very yeah. much so very much so so Part it was Fergie's, perfect then for Chelsea then to come it in it was look and I've, essentially I've, I've, Arsenal as your contender yeah who as we've already touched on basically had all of their uh, trying to think, but they kind of like had their spirits broken. The thing is, we, I think we would have been fine, but momentum is the key in football. And Chelsea having Chelsea getting a billionaire owner, getting the hottest manager in world football, getting a load of new signings, and getting that just unbelievable momentum from the opening kind of fixtures of the season. Unstoppable. The momentum is everything in football, and um, you know this this season, the o four o five season, proves that it's true. Because Chelsea had all of the momentum, and it lasted for Chelsea for quite some time after this. It did because Chelsea started the following season on fire as well. They dude, won nine the in a row. Fortress of Stamford Bridge. Yeah, was you know it eighty? Mourinho didn't lose, did he at home? No, um, I think they had eighty two games um, unbeaten um, at home. Like Chelsea were. 
at that, this time, they were just ridiculous. Um, still, the biggest frustration for the club was, you know, failures in Europe. Um, we'd already, by the end of the season, lost in two Champions League finals. Um, sorry, sorry, Champions League semi-finals um, in games we should have won. You know, Monaco, uh, they they were uh, riding kind of this uh, crest of a wave with uh, Ludovic Julian and uh, Moriantes. Um, they'd seen off the Galacticos and I think the court finals. And, but they were there for the taking for Chelsea, who had obviously had superstars. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Would you give, would you erase Chelsea's <laughs> Champions League win that you did get a while later to replay those games? The, the, the semi-finals that you lost you know because it, 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 I feel like for me would you rather win it when so if you, you could have one Champions League would you the way you have we it won it in 12 the only frustration is would that, you rather win it by deserving it or by scabbing it <laughs> that's what I'm getting at there, there's a lot to be said about <laughs> there's a lot to be no I do know what you mean the thing is is that because it would have crowned that, that Mourinho team as being they would have been are like properly in the discussion with the R8 team had they won a European Cup in that time. Um, had they won one, would it have meant as much? It's impossible for me to say that the 2012 tournament. I I was fortunate enough to be able to get tickets to go to the the home games of that that campaign, um, and I remember when we beat Benfica. And I remember talking to a guy in front of me and I was like, we've got Barcelona next. So, and I was like, we're fucked. Um, it's been nice. We're kind of riding this. And then we beat Barcelona at home. And even then, like leaving, I was like, well, at least we've got something to try and defend. But like, if it, the whole thing was just destiny. Um, and because of that fact, I just don't think anything will get over that feeling. The, the whole feeling of everything from, from the, the, the last 16 game against... Um, um, Jesus, uh, against Napoli all the way through. I, I, I don't feel that winning it the way that we would have done it in um, 04, 05 would have been quite as emotional. And I think the fact that we'd had the failures in the, in the semi-finals, yeah, I think we ended up losing two European Cup semis to, to Liverpool, one to Monaco. We lost the European Cup final to Manchester United. We had that heartbreak against Barcelona in the semi-final. Um, and then it kind of like just builds that up right it's kind of the building up of the story um, to culminate in obviously Drogba's culmination which he should have walked away from football at that point right uh, he didn't he did then come back and help Jose in the dressing room to to lift another league title um, and it shouldn't come as a shock that when he left the dressing room it all went to shit um, I feel that Drogba was probably a key cog in that dressing room uh, to keep things you know, Christy. yeah. Um, so, in answer, look, would it have meant a lot to me? Absolutely, I would have fucking loved to have been uh, league and European champions. Um, but it didn't happen, and we had some sort of poetic uh, fortunate. You want to say miracle, don't you? It was a miracle, mate. It was a miracle because I, I still kind of look at that campaign, and there's just no way. Right, they were done after the first leg in, in Naples. They were finished. I know that campaign as well as maybe other people do. Um, let's go, going back to the oh four oh five season. Do you have any anything else to add? Um, no, no, I do not. Other than um, there were some wonderful moments from I and Robin that I do distinctly remember. Um, What's that smell? Don't know. Mate. Someone's cooking. It smells nice. <laughs> Sorry, there's a smell in here. I don't know what it is. 
Robin having some wonderful moments and Frank Lampard scoring some fantastic goals. But the, just the, the overall feeling of just being the best team in the world at that moment. I hated it. I can imagine for you it must have been difficult. That would have been the second year of United just not being in the title race. Second right? trophyless year in a row, right? Yeah. Didn't happen. That didn't but, ever happen in those days. Um, it's it's yeah, obviously was a motivational thing for Fergie though, wasn't it? Because um, waiting in the wings, he had Cristiano Ronaldo and he'd signed Wayne Rooney and he'd kind of started his assembling of, Don't of his Lewis next great team. Yes. <laughs> yes. King Louis, good player. Exactly. Um, so on that bombshell, I've got one thing to add before we sign out. Okay. I've enjoyed your trip down memory lane, Woods. Thank you. Have you enjoyed it, Lee? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out. That my, 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 I have a question as well. I don't know if it's a question or if it's just more of a just a general form. Probably a lot of a lot of non-Chelsea fans. Uh, did did they just buy the title though? Did they buy this squad? You know, literally to become the force that they well they ultimately did become. Well, funny enough, like I I, I understand where you're coming from. Did they spend? I know, I know, it's not quite a Man City, but you were the first team, as you said, the first team to have a billionaire owner. We were literally at the time, no, literally no restraints, literally make it rain. Absolutely, um, I think the crucial thing for for Chelsea though is, and, and, and it's, it was the players that were kind of already there. We supplemented, obviously, with Drogba being a key player, Iron Robin, obviously. But the thing is with these fees. I think the thing was that Chelsea had to buy more players, but a lot of them didn't really hit home runs. Uh, Carvalho was crucial. Uh, check seven million in any era—that's a bargain. Um, Iron Robin twelve million—that's really good money as well. Uh, big, big expensive play like uh, I believe it was Drogba twenty-four and, and uh, Ricardo Carvalho um, at twenty uh, were the two expensive. Um, but at the time, that was that was crazy. That was crazy money. It was a lot of money. But Manchester United must have spent thirty million on Rio Ferdinand around that time. We spent thirty million on Rooney. But that's the thing. Yeah, though, and like, this is it, right? So you know, but then when you talked about your signings that year, you literally signed Rooney and then a load of jobbers. Oh yeah, that, that's the, yeah. Well, they were signing literally like thirty, twenty-five, twenty-five. Well, you know, well, consistent. United's transfer policy back in those days is uh, we would usually try and sign a big player, and then if we get another player at maybe half of the half the value, that was that person, and then maybe a jobber. That was kind of how it was. We, it was very rare for us to make it rain on multiple players in one go because Ferguson... But this is the benefit of having a settled team where only, you only need to add in a piece, you know? Whereas, you know, we, we talked... Again, we talked about the whole thing. Abramovich comes in. He's got money to burn. Mourinho's the new hot manager on the block. He wants pieces. He wants this now. Abramovich is willing to give him what he wants now because he wants it now as well. And, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, for me... It was after this when you started bunking it all on the likes of... Because you had a lot of players, man, that, like Jeremy, Thiago, you know, just a lot of those types of players where it was just... Didn't you bring in Deco as well? Deco came in under Scolari, yeah. So we, we... There was a... Chelsea have had... I mean, I'd be fascinated to go through Chelsea's player history. I guarantee you, me and you, Lee, would, have, would forget so many of them. Because the turnover of Chelsea in terms of players has been a lot. It's because the turnover of managers as well. This is it. Players on their own. Managers want their own playing stuff. And I think there is a, an art to being able to, to manage a squad of new players coming in. Um, 
But the fact that Frank Lampard turned from... Look, Frank Lampard was a good player under Claudio Ranieri. He just became a great player under Jose Mourinho. And I think Frank Lampard would probably explain why. And I just think it's just little things that he'd found obviously a tactic which would allow Frank to get in key areas of the pitch. But I think more importantly than that, he gave Frank Lampard the confidence to believe that he was one of the best players in the world. Dude, last thing I'll say on it. When uh, Shearer has been all over TV for seemingly weeks talking about um, his career and stuff like that, I go on Sky. He's on there. I go on Matt today. He's just talk, it's just the Shearer show. I'm, I'm a big fan. Fair enough. He talks about um, um, his elbows. <laughs> he talks about uh, Bobby Robson coming in and uh, the effect it had on his game. And Bobby Robson basically, because at that point of Shearer's career, he lost a bit of confidence and he was just coming deep for the ball the entire time. And Bobby Robson has said. You know you can run, run. You know you you can still do. You ain't got. You know you can't do it. You know a million times a game like you used to. But believe in yourself. You can still do this. And it was just it's that mindset of someone believing in you. And I think Mourinho in those days was the supreme man manager. He was couldn't do that these days. <laughs> as we as we're finding to talk out to these players because the players are different. They're wired just slightly different. Exactly different characters. But back they then you, the you talked about it was you know destiny and poetic with with the Champions League win. The, the, the perfect storm of events to all come together for that Chelsea team in 04-05. Again, much like the class of 92 in a, in a weird, weird, wonderful way, can't be replicated. You look at no. Man City at the moment and the way they've had to go about it, they have had to go about it completely differently because you can't do what that happened back then. It just doesn't no. work. Um, no. But anyway, on that note... Well, I I, well, funny enough, we haven't touched on one thing because obviously... Uh, you talk about Sherry, you talk about Bobby Robson, you talk about Newcastle. Well, this is it. This is what I was going to get into. Oh, well, so, here we go. I have two quick things on the agenda, right? Go for it. I'll do the Newcastle one first, and then I've got a fun thing to end with that will take literally about 40 seconds. Love so, it. Uh, please hope you'll afford me the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was back in January, the Saudi takeover rumours started happening, right? Is they that correct? Did. So this was kind of like the second or third time at that point that the yeah. Saudi rumours had started. I always felt that, I think, from what I understand from Newcastle fans, season ticket time would start, then the Saudi links would come, yeah. uh, which is the classic way of boosting those sales. But this time there's substance because of happenings at Companies House, which suggests that there's, I believe, monies that are going to be changing hands. Um this is widespread now. This is this is uh, yeah. Everyone's reporting on it. This is a thing. This is it. Um, now, um, originally they hadn't confirmed that the Saudis are involved. I still not seen to confirm it, but by all accounts they are. Uh, obviously, they are worth I think two hundred billion. Um, and I think and how did that- they achieve this money? Do you remember? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's black gold, right? Uh, li- liquid gold in in oil um, and other. Feats, but look, we understand. We we understand. <laughs> we understand as to what's going on here, right? We we can't basically be critical of Paris and Man City's owners because we think they're scumbag clubs, and then because we like Newcastle, turn a blind eye to it. The Saudi uh, Saudi owners are the biggest dirtbags in in basically. The world. They are dirtbags. Well, and they, they call know. it sports washing, right? It is sports washing. It's what the WWE have been doing, taking that blood money uh, to, to kind of help with making Jeddah a legitimate holiday destination where now your wife could drive a car. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not great, but 
I'm going to look past that for now because that's something further down the line. Um, it's great news for Newcastle. Um, just any owner that wasn't called Mike Ashley was going to be a bonus. The fact that they've got an owner that has going to have uh, a significantly deep pockets uh, in a in potential... A, in a time where FFP is going to get so relaxed. much of a thing, bruv. So FFP's getting relaxed is the understanding because of coronavirus. Um which is understandable. Clubs are in flux. They have no idea what's going on with their finances and no one's really going to know where they stand until this is all settled and probably beyond that. So some teams are going to be having to look to balance the books somehow. Um, I look at a team, for example, Bournemouth. They're a perfect example. Um, I believe that 88% of their income is based on TV revenue. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at the moment, that's uh, under debate. You know, Are they going to be able to get that? Because of are we going to play the games? which puts them in a really difficult position. What makes it worse is that for every pound they spend, I'm trying to get this right, 85p of it is on play wages. Basically, of their total uh, spend, it's, it's like 85% of their total spend is on player wages or something like that. It's 85% of their income is on... I think it's 85% of their income is spent on player wages. Sorry, 85% of their player income, of their income is spent on wages, which is a fucking disastrous position to be in. Um, to give you an example, 60% tends to be the league average. Um, Everton are quite high in it, but Everton have got a extremely rich benefactor who's probably just going to prop that up by saying, um, I'm going to name this toilet for 30 million. Is that okay? <laughs> um, now, what is worth, Tottenham, Tottenham are a massive outlier on this. 39%. So you want to know why Tottenham players must be like, fuck Daniel Levy. Um, they, when they see these numbers, they must be like, why are we such an outlier at the other end? But Bournemouth at the other end. When now, Kane goes, reality's going to hit home for those boys. Oh, yeah. Um, so the reason why I bring up Bournemouth is because they're in a situation where they could get snipes. Now, they haven't got massive assets in terms of playing stuff. Crucially, Ryan Fraser is like on his way out on a free, which uh, leaves them with uh, also their best performer in the, in the Premier League this year is uh, Harry Wilson, uh, who they don't even own. He's on loan, which leaves you with um, Callum Wilson, Josh King and um, Ake. Ake, who is the valuable asset out of all of them because obviously we've seen Callum Wilson having a drop season. Uh, I think even Josh King has obviously ended up in the down season. But Ake, for what it's worth, I think he's been good. And when you're in a... Uh, a there's a dearth. Like, it's kind of like there's not many good centre-halves. And if you're in Newcastle... Why are we Everton, talking about Bournemouth again? Because, because I'm saying that Newcastle and Everton... Uh, I only mention Everton because Lee here. But Newcastle are in a position now with their finances to kind of go in and bully their way in and go, we'll take a Nathan Ake. Um that's what I'm trying to suggest is that there's a lot of clubs that are going to be in a shit situation and Newcastle aren't going to be one of them anymore. Um, I said to you last week about the furlough and the staff at Tottenham. Um, reversed now, right? And that has been reversed. But I did say... Took their time. It, they did take their time. I did suggest that that sounded like a takeover was coming. I just got the wrong club. The furlough and the, the, furlough and the staff at Newcastle was the telltale sign that something was coming. Um is very easily is, confused for Mike Ashley being a scumbag. That's, that's the key. <laughs> the thing is, speaking of that scumbag, you know, I know it has been in the pipeline for a little while now, but he is literally fucked because he, all his business is in retail. Yeah. And that's being fucked over. Yeah. Oh, so he, yeah. He needs, he's he needs not getting anywhere near the money but he thought he was If there's a way he can make some money or he, he can, you know, basically bring some money into him, he's going, he's going to be um, Newcastle. On that note, I implore everyone listening to the show and you two fine gentlemen to find the picture of how Newcastle United have downgraded the TVs in their stadium. It's fucking gold. I will send the picture to you boys after this. 
Um, Lovely. Maybe you can tweet it. Yeah. I don't know how legit it is, but there is, you know, like when you're uh, like in the concourse of a stadium and there's TVs usually everywhere, there is um, basically this fucking tiny television, like this tiny little 24-inch television. <laughs> but the key thing is, right, is that where the 24-inch television is, there are big bolt holes around it where a much larger television used to be. Oh, my God. And when this you see so it, like, in the... Oh, it looks brilliant. Anyway. Um, but the, I guess one of the other points I wanted to make about Newcastle, obviously, becoming a, a financial power, um, that's bad news for someone because their aspirations are, obviously, to break into the big boy league, right? That's obviously what Everton's are. We already touched on the fact that Everton are going to be in a, a position to maximise their opportunities in an FFP relaxed situation. Everton and Newcastle are in the same boat. Boof, they're there together. Two clubs do not have the same situation. So we know Manchester United are going to be financially fine because they're Manchester fucking United. Chelsea have a billionaire owner. They're fine. Man City have a billionaire owner. They're fine. Liverpool have a massive turnover as well. They've got a new Nike deal. They're going to be fine. So we always said that. Everton and Newcastle add that to them as well. Two clubs that do not have massive financial benefits. Arsenal and Tottenham. Arsenal and Tottenham. Now, Arsenal apparently have spent 300 million this summer, according to their uh, their fans. Um, I've, I don't think they're spending anywhere near that. They, they've balanced the books by selling, I think, Ozil for 40 million. Um, what? Who's paying that? Who's paying uh, that? Exactly. Who's this is it. Shanghai? This is their classic um, FIFA, right? We're playing FIFA, we're doing career mode and I'm selling my players and I've basically now bought in 200 million from selling Lacazette and Ozil and I'm going to go buy, uh, was it Partey and, uh, who the fuck is the other one? They, they'd be, oh, Kai Havertz is the yeah. other one, yes. The um, rest of them. <laughs> and all the other players as well. I think those clubs are in for a bad time this summer. Um, Arsenal had to finance the Pepe deal over the next... Uh, 75 years because uh, that was the only way they could afford him uh, and Daniel Levy's already told Jose he ain't got any money you got no money to spend um, we I'm, spend it all on you yeah, I'm really interested I'm really interested because the thing is I've said we've always I don't want to get onto Sancho but I do think Sancho should go to Manchester United for, for just one reason and that's United should definitely go and go get Harry Kane uh, I, I, I think that if you go get Harry Kane and you can turn around to Sancho and go, yeah, you've got Kane and Rashford, we just need you to be the third and we're going for the title, right? It doesn't matter if Oli Sarks are in charge or not. I don't care with those three because the capabilities to push. And Pogba's then staying. United have the finance to make this happen. The thing is, it's Levy's like, I don't want to send him to a competitor. Where, where do you think he's going? <laughs> like, who do, who's buying him? In, Barcelona have no money. They aren't interested in Kane. Real Madrid don't have any money. They're not interested in Kane. Where are you selling him for two? Well, the likes million? of Tottenham's competitors from now on will be the likes of West Ham. West Ham aren't going to buy him. And that's fair, which is why he's going to go to Manchester United. I mean, I should just go proper big dick on this summer. I mean, by all accounts, I know it's, uh, it's like misinterpreted, but Oli did say the words that were going to, was it? Uh, it's not take advantage, but they're going to um, help me. Home with the exact phrasing. The exact words. Yeah. Um, but fuck it, he's not lying. No, he's not lying. It's ill-advised what he said. It was ill-advised. Um, people lying. might find it distasteful. But like, like he gives a fuck. He's coming out of this smelling like roses. Lee, you've Googled coronavirus. No, I haven't. I just stuck Google on this what's come up. All right, okay. Um, I have one last thing before we say goodbye. Yes. Um, Football365 have been doing a thing where they basically uh, do a field, an 11 with players where they have the same start. Their surnames start with the same letter. 
Right, the last one was A. I'm going to read out B's for you because I really enjoyed B's team. Last, really... last name or first name? Last name begins with okay. B, right? right? So I'm going, to, I'm going to read them out and I'll give you like a second to name a player that you think should be there, okay? Who do you think the goalkeeper was? Bartes. It's Bartes. There we go. I was going to say Boric. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bartes wins. <laughs> um, other ones you could have would be the likes of Mark Bosnich. Okay, Jack Bos- Lee's favourite player. Okay. Um, Which one? Bozzy. <laughs> right, right back. <laughs> Who do you think went in at right back? Uh, where did where did that Butner play? He's won more league titles than Gerard. Gerard. Uh, Brown. Uh, no. So we've got the likes of people that didn't make it in were the likes of Warren Barton, Marcus oh. Babel, Hector Bellerin, the Bardsley boys, David and Phil. Um, but it was Henning Berg. Henningberg at right, at right back. back? I, yeah, mate, and not having Henningberg at right back over Bellerin. Is this Garth Crooks doing this? Always team? Brown. Um, centre half. Who do you think we've got in a centre half? Oh, Jesus. Uh, Bruce. Uh, Steve Bruce is one of them. Other players that aren't in there include uh, Goodney Bergson, Jerome Boateng, and Wes Brown, and Steve Bold. They don't get in there. Ooh. Nor does Lauren Blanc before you ask. No. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, Lauren Blanc should have been in there. World Cup winner. Socks down to his ankles. Played for Everton. Oh, Lee. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got to be half decent. <laughs> if he's making this team, well, you, well, fuck me, B. Centre back. Yes. No, a fucking centre forward. I said centre back, Lee. We're, we're not in a centre forward, you know. Anyway. Um. um no. Slaven Bilic. Oh, oh, God. Really? Yeah. No. All right. Um, at left back, who we got? Sure it wasn't L. Barrett. L. <laughs> Barrett. And it's not Wayne Bridge, Ryan Bertrand, oh, yeah. or Stig Inga Bjornaby. God, they're good players. Well, Bridge was. Is Everton player again? <laughs> Baines. Baines. Baines, there we go. Of course. <laughs> Um, right is it all going to be if it's, assume, if it's an Everton play can you give me a cr- wink just to help me out yeah I assume we know who the right midfield is going to be yeah D-Bex Bex yeah. of course it's Beckham um, obviously the likes of Bentley could be in there but uh, uh, no Bentley wishes he was David Beckham <laughs> um, then in centre midfield uh, we've got a very interesting partnership doesn't include the likes of Nicky Butt Back. Lee Bowyer George Boateng or David Batty uh, or Back. Ross Barkley, Nick Barmby, or Patrick Berger. Mm, Who is it? You got? Balak. Boozy's in there. Right. Who partners Balak? Paid for Everton. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> Where was the wink? Sorry. Um, <laughs> You're looking away, it was hard. Players begin with B for Everton. I'm disappointed in you, son. <laughs> I've got Lee Carsley, mate. It's, it's the wrong letter. Um, and it's not Artessa, so I'm working way around the B. No, go on. Gareth Barry. Oh, oh Gaspers. Good player, mate. Very good player. Right, left wing, who you got? Is it an Everton player? Is it's it Jesper Longquist? It's not an Everton player, and it's not Jesper Longquist. Oh, Jesper Longquist, yeah. Uh, it's not John Barnes doesn't play in England anymore 
anymore. Still playing? Still playing. Shit. This is disappointing from the pair of you here. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm dis- very disappointed. Mate, it's on the spot, mate. It's really hard. Can you give us a club? What, they played for in England? Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, Spurs. Doesn't play there. Any- Bale. Oh. It's Bale. Bale. There we go. Yeah. Of course it's Bale. Now. Not Bentley. No. Dennis. The, the entire reason I've I've brought this this team up because I love this strike, this, this forward line. Now... <laughs> It's, 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 to say it's irresistible is an understatement. Is it's it not Bur- Peter is Beardsley. It's Burkamp and Berbatov. It's Burkamp and Berbatov. Yes. Love oh my it, God. Mate. Right, Must, the likes oh. of uh, Bellamy, Bent, Balotelli and Bentner don't get in this because Burkamp and Berbatov is fucking outrageous, That's graceful, isn't it? mate. That's so great. That's a graceful partnership. I, I have never wanted to see two players play together more than Burkamp and Berbatov in my life. Both have irresistible touches. Oh. Plucking out of the air. Yeah, but you could imagine like kind of modern football like pressing forwards. Berbatov's <laughs> 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 on that. Hey, we watched um, uh, Gary Neville's soccer box with Berbatov on it. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, you know what? I haven't seen the Berbatov one, no. Mate, he's a weird guy. Fruitcake. He's a really weird guy, but he's brilliant. Like he's a no, madman. He's, 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 he's funny. He's a proper like. Um, he's a enigma. proper United guy, right? Yeah, he fucking loves United. He's like yeah, an ambassador yeah. in all sorts. But he's an enigma, mate. Is the way I'd use to describe he, uh, him. He basically only likes scoring like really good goals, like sexy goals. His if it, if it's goal a for Monaco. Oh yes, yeah. I I, it's, it, I just can't get my head around how incredible that goal is. No right to do that. He has on no that right. note. On the note, because I had dinner yet, I'm hungry. Yes. Yeah? It's time to say goodbye. It's been a fantastic time listening to Chelsea's War and Peace by Tom Woods. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I've certainly enjoyed it. Have you enjoyed it, Lee? Uh, Yeah, it's been all right. Now, have you enjoyed it, Woods? Oh, mate. I got I got an hour and a half of talking about Chelsea. I was you got got teary-eyed in there, didn't you? Look at the smile on his face. He's a happy... I've, I've still got that shirt. In fact, uh, uh, Lee knows this shirt quite well because I bought this shirt on my birthday the year before because it was back in the back in the day where you used to have two seasons of a shirt. Yeah, back in last. the day, um, and I, we would just become nouveau rich, as already said. Uh, it was my birthday. I was like, I'm gonna go out and go buy the new Chelsea shirt. I'm going to get our fancy new striker on the back, number seven, crucially, um, and that player was. As Mutu Lee. Naldo. <laughs> Mutu Naldo, I've got on the back. Uh, Adrian Mutu, who did start like, oh, he was incredible at the start. And then it unravelled um, as he got used to life in London. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out, love the old bugle. Party yeah. boy, mate. Yeah. Party boy. Um, Snowing a lot in London, I hear, when yeah. he was there. Um, who is your last thing? Very last thing, I promise <laughs> Ask you firstly, who was your who was your favourite Chelsea signing of the Abramovich era? What the one that I thought would like the biggest one? Yeah, like there was you like whoa, that's you know whoa. Because mm. when Chelsea signed Shevchenko, I nearly shit myself. That's the thing, and it's looking back in hindsight, you think of Shevchenko, and you think oh you're shit at Chelsea, mm-hmm. but if you remember at the time, he was literally hot shit. Um, yeah, I think I think you've. Gone with there. I mean, I, I, I've always personally, you know, I'm a big Joe Cole fan. So when they signed Joe Cole, I was like, oh, that, that, you know, that always took to my eye. Bargain, mate. What six about you? Was it, was it boozy? 
that summer we signed both Balak and Shevchenko. That was um, a big summer. And I remember how excited I was when we signed Sheva. I was so excited. And I remember them watching Ukraine at the World Cup and going, he's fucking finished me. <laughs> he, he was so slow to watch. Um, and it was just like, we've just spent £30 million on a player that the on, magic on, has gone. On dry paint. Uh, the thing Excellent. with Balak, I mean, Crespo I always loved as well. Um, so he, he falls into this as well. Um, I love her name, Crespo. What a play. I'm, I'm gutted it didn't work out better for him because he was incredible. He's, he's probably, other than Drogba, the best striker we had at the club. Um, and on that note, let's bow out. Let's do it. It's been a pleasure, Woods. I look forward to boring the shit out of the pair of you next week. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, is that you, you know damn well how highly I regard that, that this team that we're <laughs> going to talk about, so I can't even talk ill of them. <laughs> I'll try to do it in the most poetic... Uh, read there is okay not war and peace then. not war and peace or maybe war and peace I might write it all down as a speech we suffered through that final together <laughs> we did we I fucking left the room mate but we'll you get did. to that next week we will get um, to that next week um, yeah. yeah it's been a pleasure boys and girls thank you for listening um, good night goodbye keep safe and all that Yes, mm. stay home, stay safe, and uh, protect the NHS. All of those things. And save, save lives? And, and save lives. Yeah. Save, save the lives. Save lives. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.